0: Africa Rise and Shine Africa Tzosa Africa Amika na Unga
1: Good morning and a very warm welcome to the final hour of Africa Rise and Shine this morning you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa and Tabisolo Hoko. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Africa's Independent Police Investigative Directorate says it has been investigating about 588 complaints reported against the police since the start of Lockdown. A coronavirus pandemic brought death and hardship to South Africa, and unfortunately, women took the brunt of the blow. And in economics news, Mozambique's president declares that overall production in the northern province of Nampula has fallen by 20% because of the economic impact of a COVID 19 pandemic. But first up, the news with Ann Musa.
2: SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African From a perspective.
3: perspective. perspective.
4: Good morning, I'm Anne Moussa. South Africa's ruling ANC's Deputy Secretary-General Jesse Duarte has confirmed that Party President Cyril Ramaphosa and the Secretary-General Ace Mahashule will soon appear before the ANC's Integrity Commission. Duarte says Ramaphosa has subjected himself to the commission to account for the source of the funds for his campaign for the position of Party President in 2017. She says Mahashule will will appear following an interview in which she said he would never step aside from his position over allegations that he was involved in corruption. There were reports of tensions between the ANCs uh, during the ANC's three day National Executive Committee meeting at the weekend. A detailed report on the outcome of the meeting will be announced this week. South Africa is no longer among the top five countries with the highest number of coronavirus cases globally because it has been recording fewer infections in the last 24 hours cycle. South Africa has recorded an increase of 2,505 new coronavirus cases, bringing the cumulative number to 625,056. The number of deaths has increased by 47, bringing the death toll to 14,028. Zoleka Kora reported.
3: South Africa is now the sixth country to record the highest number of coronavirus infections in the world, down from number five, behind the United States, Brazil, India, Russia and Peru. Regarding COVID-19-related fatalities, South Africa is the 13th country, while the United States remains the first. South Africa breached its 14,000 death mark and now stands at a total of 14,028 after recording a further 47 new COVID-19-related fatalities in the last 24-hour cycle.
4: The presiding bishop of the Methodist Church of Southern Africa, Purity Malinga, says the the poor and women are the ones who mostly have to bear the brunt of corruption. Bishop Malinga is one of the church leaders who took part in an online service to launch the South African Council of Churches' anti-corruption campaign regarding the looting of COVID-19 funds. The launch also formed part of rolling mass action by the churches during Heritage Month in September against all forms of corruption. Malinga led a prayer in which she called for accountability.
5: When there is corruption on the PPEs,
3: the essential workers, most of whom are women, they die and live behind their families. And most of those who die are those who are poor, who cannot fund for themselves. When
5: political leaders and those who are politically connected continue to loot the resources of this nation, the unemployed, the homeless, the landless, the waterless, the hungry, most of whom are women, they remain destitute.
4: Zimbabwe's opposition MDC Alliance has accused police in the country of being captured by the state. The party says police have failed to investigate the recent abduction of rights activists. This follows the abduction of activist Dawanda Muchiwa the incident was captured on CCTV. Puchewa was abducted by a group of armed men who tortured him for three days before dumping him badly injured near his home. MDC spokesperson Vazai Mahere says the video of the incident is proof that the state carried out the act.
3: The perpetrators of the abduction of Tawandam Chehiwa are the state. It's Mr. Mnangagwa's people who are responsible for the abduction. That should be clear. It's not the MDC Alliance that abducted Tawanda Mchehua. With all the leads, the video evidence that that has been offered so far, that has been made available, we we would have expected the police to be completely on top of this investigation. There is no political will on the part of the police who we can go as far as saying are captured by the state. Because if they were independent and willing to do their job by now, we should have seen arrests.
4: Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro says the coronavirus vaccine that Russia has developed will be tested on volunteers in the country in the next few days. Scientists have criticised the vaccine because it was developed so fast and Russia has shared little information about it. The BBC's Candice Piat reports.
6: While many scientists have expressed unease about the Russian vaccine, it's hardly surprising that Venezuela should give its support. Moscow has long been a key ally of President Nicolás Maduro, as was Hugo Chávez before him. Venezuela is also a fierce critic of the US and sits conveniently for the Russians right in America's backyard. Caracas is also hugely in debt to Russia, which has doled out millions of dollars to help prop up the Maduro government.
4: And finally in sports news, South African defending champions Mamelodi Sundowns blew the chance to take charge of the APSA Premiership title race when they were beaten 1-0 by Baroka FC at Dobsonville Stadium south of Johannesburg. Following a loss for title rivals and log leaders, Kaiser Chiefs early in the day, Sundowns could have gone three points clear with two games to play, but instead it's a case of as you were for the two heavyweights who remain level on 53 points at the head of the table. However, the result is a major boost for uh, Baroka, who move up two places to 13th on the log and open up a two-point gap to the relegation playoff. That's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African time.
2: SABC News independent and impartial. From an African From perspective.
1: perspective. perspective. Thank you, Anne. Since the start of a national lockdown in March, the Independent Police Investigative Directorate IPID says it has been investigating about 588 complaints reported against the police. They relate to allegations of corruption and various case classifications, including death as a result of police action, discharge of official firearms by police officers, torture and assault the institute for security studies recently launched a book that looks into corruption and the abuse of power by police officers horisani has more
2: a large number of south africans who took part in the survey believe that most police are corrupt and two-thirds don't trust their officers Although more than 5,000 formal complaints have been opened against the police, half a billion rand has been paid out to victims of police misconduct for damages in the 2018-2019 financial year. Just under 1% of the almost 200,000 officers were subjected to formal disciplinary proceedings. Of the 1,888 officers who faced disciplinary hearings, 4% experienced no sanctions because they had their cases withdrawn or were found not guilty. Of the 178 found guilty for corruption or fraud, 108 remain in their jobs. Only 12% were recommended for dismissal. Since the start of the national lockdown, 588 complaints against the police have been recorded by IPID. The police watch dogs
3: the independent investigative directorate that's Ipid, investigates 588 complaints that relate to allegations of incidents that occurred during the state of the national disaster operations that's COVID 19 from the 26th march 2020 to 10 june 2020. these complaints are in various case classification they include death as a result of police action discharge of fo- official firearm by police officer, torture and, and
7: assault.
2: The Institute of Security Studies says it's not easy to measure police misconduct without looking into the officer's integrity. The Institute's Sonja Ivkovic says that way they'll be able to see if there's been an abuse of power.
6: This approach has been used widely by scholars from across the world. South Africa, as you all well know, has a turbulent past that is marked by several important qualities. Injustice, inequality and violence that should translate into how policing is done and how it has been done over time. And lastly, it has a large centralized police system, a CEPs, that is characterized by consistent leadership failures. And on the other hand, perceptions that misconduct is widespread.
2: Corruption-wise Kivashpile says the findings reveal the failure of law enforcement agencies as well as the oversight bodies to undertake their investigative responsibilities. Meanwhile, recent crime stats shows that some crimes have increased crime activities use of Abram G.
0: We've seen dramatic increases in many parts of Hauteng, especially the greater Johannesburg, the shwane area, the East Rand and the West Rand. We've also had an increase in um, some crimes, as, uh, especially car hijackings and house invasions in the Durban and surrounding areas in KwaZulu-Natal. And there's also been some increase uh, in the areas around Cape Town. Uh, we've also seen some increases in gang violence on the Cape Flats, uh, and that is of concern.
2: Complaints against the police also continue to be investigated by IPID. Two police officers are expected in court today in connection with the murder of an Eldorado Park teenager.
1: That report by Horisani Sitole. In his latest book, All Rise, a Judicial Memoir, South Africa's former Deputy Chief Justice Dekang Museneke takes a look back at his life on the bench. Museneke says people need to stand up and do the right thing. In the book, he says he wanted to be a speed cop growing up.
8: You know how it happens. Titles come at the end of the writing, not at the beginning. But, you know, the title has multiple layers. The one obvious layer is the call out, you know, to business in the courts. All right, rise is when we start working. So it really signifies the fact that, you know, I'm talking about the court, I'm talking about its sessions and its tribulations and successes. But on the other hand, of course, it's a call to our people um, to understand active citizenship, to understand the obligation to hold to account those who hold a variety of positions, both in private and public places, and if you look at the opening dedication, you'll see there that I use the word "all rise," urging all of us to make sure that we don't remain oppressed and poor and excluded forever. So it has those multiple meanings to it, and we, I'm happy we explore them further. Uh, that is uh,
6: certainly a threat that one. Picks up uh, very pertinently as you read the book. Another threat that runs through consistently is, of course, the notion of justice. And not only as it pertains to the criminal justice system, but as you say once again, uh, you seem to be very keenly aware... Of social justice as a concept and one that particularly coming from our past uh, and apartheid past in South Africa uh, you do not veer too far away from at any given point
8: you know Sakina there's often this narrow notion that justice is what happens in a court you can tick that box there's one place where it happens but actually remember in 1994 even earlier a whole struggle was to restructure and change our society. It was to banish poverty, exclusion, prejudices, whether based on race, on gender, on sexual orientation, on origin, name it. Because apartheid was all those things wrapped up together. It was not just about race. Apartheid had a whole range of prejudices and exclusions and oppressions. So our job was to bring about a just society. And that concept, Sakina, is much more than having the right of access to courts and having independent judges and who pronounce on the matter. There's one slice of it. And that slice kicks in when terrible injustice has happened in society. Then you run to the courts. So, yes, my understanding of justice is a broad one. And my quest is that all of us ought to rise to our full potential In our lives. And therefore, social justice is central and the opposite of colonialism and apartheid. So
6: when we start with the book in the prologue and and, and you really caught me there because I, I really wanted to ask you about Tanzania and Morogoro. And right in the prologue, you talk about uh, basically hitching a ride, as it were, with uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa and his wife uh, to go to Morokoro, to the uh, Solomon Mathangu School. And having been there myself and and, and having experienced, uh, you know, even today, struggle to explain what exactly it felt like just getting to that particular gate at uh, the Solomon Mathangu College. What was that like for you when, when you finally got there?
8: That's so why I opened with it in the book, um, in, in the prologue, Sakina, just to take a step back and remind all of us of the sacrifices which have been made, which have been made by, for instance, combatants of the African National Congress, but combatants of the Pan-Africanist Congress of Azania, and of the Black Consciousness Movement and of the UDF inside the country. In other words that was meant to be representative of this, of the sacrifices that so many people have made. But also I describe Moragoro as a shrine, a place you go to, you know, as I say, the you know, to, to re-energize, you know, yourself and remind yourself of the mission that we have in our hands. You see, it's very easy to have a long, tortuous struggle. And then to forget what it all was about and what really moved the pieces and how disciplined, for instance, we were who were in Roman Island, or those who were in the UDF and other structures inside the country, or those who were in exile. And so Morogoro represents that hard effort that you saw, growing their own vegetables, building their own dormitories, building a school, you know. Building grave sites and a chapel and doing it with their very hands. That really stayed with me, and that's why I opened the book with that.
9: the globe, every second there's always a breaking story.
10: for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital Addis Ababa.
3: Reporting for Channel Africa,
10: I am Hilda loa in Zambia.
9: Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time.
10: George Muhango. Channel Africa Blantyre.
9: Reporting for Channel Africa,
2: this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa.
9: Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa.
1: That was South Africa's former Deputy Chief Justice Dekang Museneke speaking to Sakina Kamwendo. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's
3: funny when you think about it that way because you realise just how important Africa is to the global economy.
9: And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there,
11: nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach,
0: we'll learn twice. Hello Africa, welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa the voice of the African renaissance from an African perspective.
11: For your latest update on the novel coronavirus or COVID-19, for Channel Africa, I'm Arthur Scopo in Lusaka, Zambia. If you develop fever, cough, and difficult breathing, seek medical advice promptly as this may be due to a respiratory infection or other serious condition.
1: It's 7.19 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Former South Africa's President Jacob Zuma has submitted before the Supreme Court of Appeal in Bloemfontein that he acted within his constitutional rights to review public protector's remedial actions. Zuma wants the SCA to reverse the Pretoria High Court decision, which ordered him to pay personal costs of his litigation. He says he was concerned about the constitutionality of the public protector's recommendations in the state capture report. Makhalem Masideng reports.
10: Former President Jacob Zuma's senior counsel, Advocate Muzisi Kakani, has argued that Zuma did not act recklessly and his concerns were justified to review and interdict the former public protector's report. The report recommended that the Chief Justice appoint a judge to lead a commission of inquiry into state capture. Advocate Sikakani contends that this should not attract personal cost as ordered by the High Court in 2018 and that there's nothing wrong with uh, the state footing Zuma's legal bills.
2: My submission, respectfully, is that it is justified for the president concerned about acting unconstitutionally and spending resources as it happened in the arms deal report. And this one, which has spent a billion rand and it's nowhere near end, is that he was justified in being concerned about starting a process we know now That this commission, we were told, must be done in 30 days and would take 180 days. We are nowhere near knowing who blundered the state.
10: We don't. Senior counsel for the EFF advocate Tembekang Ngaitobi has argued that the decision by former President Jacob Zuma to review the public protector's remedial actions caused a delay and abused state resources. He submitted that Zuma wanted the power to decide on the necessity and content of the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture gaitobi that there was a conflict of interest on the part of the president
8: the first problem with the submission is that it reinforces the conflict of interest rather than eliminate it because his concern about the selection of the judge to uh, to chair the inquiry simply confirms that he did not want the chief justice to be the filter to ensure that there is no perception of a conflict of interest that perpetuates. But most importantly, quite apart from the problem of the reinforcement of the conflict of interest, the problem is that it ignores the full scope of the grounds of review.
10: Senior counsel for the DA advocate Stephen Butlander refuted arguments by Zuma's legal representative that the former president wanted to establish the constitutionality of public protectors' remedial actions. Advocate Butlander says Zuma was attempting to avoid complying with obligations imposed by the public protectors' state capture report.
11: When you understand that
0: remedy, you understand with respect how, they could ne- how, how the High Court really had no other option but to direct personal costs and an attorney-client costs. Because when you consider the chronology of events, the grounds of review, the kitchen sink approach that was taken, and you consider the shift in remedy at the last moment in an apparent attempt to stymie anything happening, that, with respect, demonstrates that this is an abusive process. It is an abusive process by the then president for his personal gain and it is an abusive process that warranted the cost order that was made.
10: Senior counsel for the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution, advocate Michelle Leroux, insists that the former president's action to this point is still reckless.
12: The conduct of this litigation and the recklessness and unreasonable in persisting even in this court, we submit all confirms that the conduct of the litigation warranted the sanction and the censure of a personal and punitive costs order. Because even to this day, there is the, the risk that the arguments that are being made on behalf of the former president undermine the commission of inquiry that he himself appointed in the way that he was uh, directed to do so by the former public protector.
10: Judgment has been reserved. Mahala in and Bloemfontein.
1: The coronavirus pandemic brought death and hardship to the country and unfortunately women took the brunt of the blow. A study conducted by South Africa's Rhodes University in partnership with the University of Cape Town found that the typical earnings of women in the informal self-employed sector decreased by nearly 70% since the beginning of the pandemic. The study analysed the effects of the pandemic on the informal economy. The picture about job losses is just as alarming. Veronica Report.
12: An estimated three million jobs were lost due to the pandemic, but two million of those were held by women—an alarming and very sad reality for South African women. Professor Michael Rogan says the telephone survey quizzed more than seven thousand individuals.
9: Researchers uh, from from Vits University, Daniela Casale and, and Dori Posel used the same data that, that I've analyzed and, and found that of the three million jobs that were probably lost in April due to the lockdown and the, and the pandemic, two-thirds of those, or, or two million of the three million, uh, were lost by women. So it really does seem that um, this SHE session has, has, has come about in South Africa as well.
12: He says the results of the research highlighted the existing struggles women faced in the labor market
9: that this particular uh, crisis has really exacerbated the pre-existing inequalities and, and vulnerabilities. So uh, South African women have been at a disadvantage in the labor market before this crisis and will continue to be. Uh, but on top of those existing uh, vulnerabilities, they've really borne the brunt of this crisis in, in quite a quite a startling way.
12: Professor Rogan says the research concluded that men received more support than women during this time.
9: If we look at, for example, the special um, COVID nineteen grant that government has rolled out, two thirds of of those have been awarded to men. So there's a little bit of a a, a lopsided um, feature of the of the support package. Uh, Women were disadvantaged more than men, but the special uh, COVID grant was received by men.
12: The economy is getting back on track on all levels. Street vendors in Port Elizabeth are trading again.
10: I did not receive any assistance from the government. I don't even get grant and I did not even receive the 350 rand COVID support grant. My business has been really affected. As a result, my daughter still can't come to the street. I also had to close, but we opened again, but my children are still at home. Mm -hmm.
12: The research found that women in the informal economy worked less than half of the typical hours per month from before than during the lockdown. But again, men were better off, only losing a quarter of their working hours in the pandemic. The recommendation stemming from the study is clear. Women are economically vulnerable and were severely affected by the economic shutdown, and the bulk of support should be directed to them. Veronica Fury in Port Elizabeth.
13: Many parts of the world, naturally rich, especially Africa, are poor and parts
3: not well off in minerals, enjoy the highest standards of living. Channel Africa brings you a brand new show dedicated to revitalize the motherland with her music and wisdom. Building Africa with Love, Fridays 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., and all Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Central African Time.
5: Nguvu kwa
4: upendu Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world.
10: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare,
2: Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa.
3: Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana
5: Wanyonyi in Mombasa.
2: For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjerere in Johannesburg.
10: Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Noël Bamweze.
5: Reporting
4: for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelo. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective.
5: When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger, in you know, a South Africa that was hostile.
0: Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Abu Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9, and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa, rise.
2: Channel Africa. The Voice of the African Renaissance.
1: It's 7:30 Central African Time and our headlines up next with Anne Moussa.
8: SABC
2: News, independent and impartial from an
1: African perspective.
10: perspective.
4: Good morning, I'm Anne Moussa on the headline. South Africa's ruling ANC's Deputy Secretary-General Jesse Duarte has confirmed that Party President Cyril Ramaphosa and the Secretary-General Ace Khashule will soon appear before the ANC's Integrity Commission. Zimbabwe's opposition MDC Alliance has accused police in the country of being captured by the state. And the acting head of the Homeland Security in the US, Chad Wolf, says all options are on the table to resolve violent protests in Portland, Oregon. Those are... The stories making headlines.
2: SABC News, independent and impartial from an African perspective.
1: perspective. Thank you, Anne. A study by the 10-member African Union High-Level Panel on Emerging Technology says African leaders need to utilize in- innovation a lot more than what they are currently doing. This is according to Dr. Justina Dukbaza, Senior Program Officer for Education and Social Development at the African Union Development Agency. She was speaking after the, the release of a study last week.
5: It has been established that science, technology and innovation is extremely very important uh, for development. However, African countries are not utilizing these innovations, science and technology, as much as they're supposed to uh, do. And as a result of that, the member states, that's the African leaders, uh, set up uh, this uh, panel. So what they do is that they provide a technical support. They identify emerging technologies that are relevant to a development on the continent. They prioritize these technologies and then undertake research and then analyze these and also make recommendations to governments and other uh, relevant stakeholders. So then uh, they disseminate these uh, uh, reports. They also convene this uh, policy and decision makers for knowledge sharing, uh, capacity strengthening, sharing of uh, experiences, best practices, and lesson learned from each country. And so what happens is that countries that are ahead are able to support The other countries behind so that everyone moves forward in the harnessing of innovation and emerging technologies on the continent.
10: Dr. Justina, what are the key findings in terms of data collected in the continent?
5: Okay, uh, the key findings, uh, number one, is that you know the percentage of a government that are harnessing this emerging technology is really low particularly when you compare African countries to other developing countries, as well as to developed countries. And so because uh, science technology underpins uh, development, that has actually affected the level of development on the continent. Secondly, it's also been established that uh, when it comes to technologies, such as uh, those required for education, we are also uh, lagging behind. And that is the reason why our educational sector has been affected very negatively during this uh, COVID-19. So you'll find that now e-learning, virtual learning has become very important. But then when we look at uh, some uh, sectors such as uh, teachers who are supposed to support uh, the students in actually utilizing these e-learning facilities, we find that the teachers themselves are not knowledgeable about the use of e-learning, computers, Zoom, and uh, other tools. As a result, they are not able to uh, support the youth in uh, utilizing uh, these uh, facilities. Even when we look at health, you know, fact remains that this COVID-19 has really impacted every sector of the economy. And then going forward, there is going to be need for adjustment in all the sectors, whether it is health, uh, education, agriculture, agricultural livelihoods, and others. Uh, the research shows that Africa is not really at par with other developing uh, countries it is not uh, at par uh, with the developed countries We are really lagging behind and so what the au high level panel is doing is actually providing sensitization and they are emphasizing the fact that you know post-covid 19 is not going to be the same as pre-covid 19 this is going to be a new normal. A lot is going to change. And the only thing that can actually uh, sustain African uh, countries' development is an enhanced uh, use of uh, emerging technologies and innovation. So a lot of technical support is being provided, a lot of sensitization, a lot of capacity strengthening so that African countries from the lowest to the highest level would be able to uh, harness uh, emerging technologies that are relevant to the sectors that they are involved in. So if you're a teacher or an education practitioner, then there's need to be more uh, involved in the digitalization and e-learning or virtual classrooms, as they are called. If it's uh, an agriculturist, then there's need to harness uh, innovation such as um, micro grids and drones for agriculture livelihoods. If it's someone involved in the informal sector, there's not a lot of use uh, of the smartphones to get information such as prices, you know, availability of goods uh, on the market. And so all these, you know, are really uh, set to, uh, support all sectors of the economy, all targets of the population. So when we're talking about innovation and emerging technologies, it is just not for the elite. It is just not for a section of the population. It is actually applicable to all sectors of the population. When we take the youth, for example, the youth belt and then a youth unemployment seem to be such an evasive challenge for Africa. African government and there's need to really work on this sector and technologies and then a technologies uh, coupled with entrepreneurship is one area that the African government can make a difference by supporting youth to set up small businesses in innovation in the use of uh, emerging technologies
1: Dr. Justina Dugbaza, senior, speaking to Channel Africa's Pamela Kuomba. It is 7.38 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine.
8: WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, Go outside for a walk, a run or a ride and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online. Dance to music, do some yoga or walk up and down the stairs.
11: Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int.
2: I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees the flowers the
8: seas and the ever changing seasons that define the face of our native land
2: masterclass africa where great minds connect An explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African Time. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective.
1: It's 7.40 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. More than 100 bikers have taken to the streets of South Africa's coastal city of Durban in a peaceful protest against racism and farm murders in the country. They gathered at different points in the province to join the nationwide call, appealing to government to act against farm murders. Nontlaganipo Makwaza reports.
14: Traffic came to a standstill along K. E. Masinga Road in Durban as scores of bikers made their way to the Durban Magistrate Court to lay flowers and crosses as a memorial for those that have been killed in farm attacks. The latest crime statistics released by the South African Police Service shows a sharp increase in farm attacks this year, validating the concerns raised by the farming community. Among the victims is 26-year-old Zakia Ishmael, who was brutally killed in a farm invasion on July 1st. Ishmael was found in the bathroom with her throat slit after her family was attacked by three unknown suspects on the Ayub's farm in Winnin in the Midlands. The bikers, some of whom have lost family and friends in similar attacks, say they are tired of living in fear. Biker David Christie says they want government to hear their pleas.
8: I've lost a family member uh, due to farm murder, which is Barney Ustazen's father, which is my uncle's father that was killed on a farm. On the, in the Eastern Transvaal. There's many people like us. And this is what we do on a daily basis We fight this fight to make the government listen to our people. We are subjugated and we are ridiculed by the government on a daily basis. And we're not gonna stand for that anymore. Enough is enough. Harte Bota believes that these senseless
14: killings could be linked to the ongoing calls for land grabs.
12: They're actually busy with uh with something to scare the people off the farms, to kill them, to torture them at the most horrendous way possible. And we're against that. And we need the government to put a stop to it. It's related to land grab, and there's quite a lot of people that actually speak up for, for, for land grab. And because of that, it's just getting more and more horrible. The people are being murdered for nothing.
14: Vice President of biking organization Mega Force, Michael Stoltz, is calling on bikers to stand together against racism and farm
8: attacks. The reason for this is to get behind all the farm murderers that's been happening and obviously we all stand together against racism and the idea to get together today is peaceful. All right so we're making a big statement and it's not only in KZN, it's happening all over the country whether it's rain or not, we'll still be here to support the farmers. Without them, there is no meat and vegetables on the table.
14: The Teban leg of the peaceful protest ended in a prayer at Amanzimtoti on the south coast. I'm Nuntla Pomagwaza in Durban.
1: The following story contains graphic descriptions which may upset sensitive listeners, including children. The World Animal Protection has called for the total ban in the export of lion pots. Tree Shake founder Dave Duarte, leading the South Africa WAP campaign, says the lions spend time in confinement until they are ready to be killed for their bones. These bones are then shipped abroad for use in traditional medicine in Asia. Pearl Makubane reports.
3: WAP says every day thousands of wild animals are poached, farmed, or sold into the global multi-billion dollar trade. These wild animals are being traded for food, pets, traditional medicine, and entertainment. Founder of Tree Shake, Dave Duarte, leading the South African WAP campaign, says in 2019, there were around 8,000 lions in captivity in South Africa.
15: To put this number in perspective, throughout the whole of Africa, there are only around 20,000 lions left in the wild. So almost half of all lions are now in captivity. We need to call for a total ban in the export of lion parts. South Africa currently allows for quotas, A certain amount of lion bones can be exported illegally, but this sends an unclear message to the market. It doesn't communicate that this is wrong, this is unethical, this is pillaging Africa's heritage.
3: Locally, South Africa contributes to the wildlife trade by rearing lions for their bones. The bones are then legally sold to Southeast Asia to supplement the tiger bone industry. The bones have been known to sometimes be taken while the animal is still alive in order to ensure that those harvested are pink in hue. duarte says the animals are subjected to immense cruelty throughout their lives.
15: The first pain is being separated from their mothers. Lions are very social creatures and in these situations they have no pride. They're kept in cramped conditions and are very often malnourished. It's not unusual to have five cubs in a small cage covered in each other's urine and waste. There are too many cruelties to describe about an industry that's based on exploiting wild creatures, but one that's particularly shameful is the demand for pink bone, which results from the lion being deboned while still alive, leaving blood in the bone.
3: To try and end the wildlife trade globally, WAP is trying to raise a million signatures to take to the G20 summit in November, Permacubane Johannesburg.
1: The recent easing of lockdown restrictions in South Africa to allow local travel has generated excitement in the tourism industry. This after they had to close their doors for five months. Although the reopening is good news for the industry, there are strict regulations to be adhered to. Worse still, it's going to be an uphill battle for the establishments to recover financially. Mafedile reports.
16: Revival of the tourism industry will be a tough battle, with more restrictions in place to ensure safety of visitors. Establishments say it's their main objective to make guests feel welcome, but now they do it with precautions. Dumelo Maoba works as a butler at the Palace of the Lost City at Sun City. Maoba says the working environment has changed and that they have to ensure that their guests are more safe
10: very very exciting to come back and um, we are happy and we are excited and it's delighting that uh, we're gonna be having our guests and we can't wait to be experiencing a new living with our guests and we can assure them that they're gonna get the service that they've never had before with this COVID-19 um, they cannot stop the fun this COVID-19 cannot stop the fun Even
16: saving breakfast is more of a challenge with food individually wrapped and pegged. Rocco Festa is a chef at the Palace of the Lost City at Sun City.
2: As you can see there, customers will get served by the, buffet, by the hot buffet um, and they're not allowed to serve the dish up for themselves. Our chef serve for them. So so no touching of the food, so no handling of food. Our hands are sanitized every half an hour.
16: The casino will be among the first to open its doors. But even here, things will be different as the manager, Semi Mokele, elaborates further.
8: So we've gone beyond what the regulations required. We've enhanced our uh, hygiene standards. So so come at the gate as a a customer. Uh, We're going to do screening. Uh, We're going to take your temperatures and then once you enter the casino as a customer uh, what we've done every second slot machine has been switched off to keep the social distancing as required by regulations and what also happens is that we've uh, put additional resources on the casino floor we've got more staff members.
16: But many have a view that even if doors are open it will take the industry many years to recover. Bonsomo Khudiri is a game ranger at Mangwa Trackers.
11: We are now happy that uh, Sun City is going to open on second, but the problem is how much business is going to be coming through to to Sun City. If it does come out really well,
15: then great for us. We're going to start making ends meet, but it's going to be slow in the beginning.
16: All Sun City staff took a pay cut to prevent possible retrenchments, but this might still not be enough. Here's Sun City General Manager Brett Hoppe.
8: Obviously that's a situation which is not infinitely sustainable. Um, so, you know, my challenge is to get this business back to normality and get the revenue flowing as quickly as we possibly can.
16: The Sun City premises might look dissolute for now. However, there is hope that the place will be a hive of activity again.
1: Bafedile Mwerani, Sun City. It's 7.50 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabisolo Luhoko.
13: Thanks,
11: Lulu, and good morning. Zambian President Edgar Lungu has appointed the Deputy Governor of Bank of Zambia in charge of operations, Francis Chipimo, as the central bank's acting governor. Chipimo will head the bank in Parliament's ratification of the substantive governor, Christophe Mvunga. This is according to a statement by Special Assistant to the President for Press and Public Relations, Isaac Chipambi. Irrigation ministers of Egypt, Sudan and Ethiopia have reviewed the outcome of negotiations of the trilateral, technical and legal committees concerning the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. African Union, U.S. and EU observers as well as AU Commission experts attended the meeting. The negotiations are aimed at building on the outcome of the mini-African summit and the six-way meeting that gathered the three states' ministers of irrigation and foreign affairs in August. Mozambican President Felipe Nyusi has declared that overall production in the northern province of Nampola have fallen by 20% because of the economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. This fall is due to mainly the decline in activity in the transport and communications sector by 27%, in manufacturing industry 11%, energy and lubricants 67%, construction and assembly Seventy eight per cent and mining eighty six per cent Angola plans to join the Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative, an international effort to fight corruption in revenues from oil, gas and mineral extraction. Angola's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Tete Antonio, announced the move on Twitter and said Angola has demonstrated its commitment to promote the open and accountable management of its natural resources for the benefit of its people. Angola's President João Lorenzo has embarked on an anti-corruption drive since taking power from José Eduardo dos Santos, who stepped down in 2017. South Africa has endured its worst power cuts on record this year. The power cuts by power utility ESCOM are one of the biggest challenges facing President Sir Ramaphosa as he tries to revive investor confidence in Africa's most industrialized economy. Analysis by South Africa's Council for Scientific and Industrial Research found that 1.498 gigawatt hours of energy had been shared so far in the first eight months of 2020. The U.S. dollar is trading at 3.8682 Nigerian Nara, 11.37 Botswana pula, 107.19 Kenyan shilling, and 19.49 Zambian kwacha. In BRICS currencies, in Brazil, one U.S. dollar costs a fivorul 38. In Russia, 74 rubles of four. In India, 72 rupees 95. In China, a dollar is changing hands at 61.86. And in South Africa, it will cost you 16 rand. 58. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 74 pence to the British pound and 83 cents to euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at $1,958 and platinum at $926 dollars pounds. The price of brand crude oil is at $44.90 a barrel. It's Monday.
0: Africa Rise and Shine. Africa Forza Africa Amica unai. That
1: wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today for myself Lulu Kabu, producer Luanda Maume, Technical Producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team. Thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Channel Africa 1. You can WhatsApp on plus 277 On Taking us to the top of our the news is Not Yet Uhuru by Letambulu. Have a good day and keep safe.
2: SABC News,
13: independent.